0: And now, here's your host,
1: Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the R Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Rost, and I'll be your guide to explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from Our Missouri. Welcome to Season 5 of the Our Missouri podcast. Over the last few years, we've provided series and episodes centering on the history of geographic regions of Missouri, including St. Louis, Kansas City, and the Ozarks as well as topical themes like border wars, water and waterways, the Centennial of Suffrage, the Bicentennial Book Club, the National Women in Media Collection, and the 50th Anniversary of the Moon Landing. For Season 5, we will focus on two major projects within the State Historical Society of Missouri's Oral History Program. 50th Anniversary of Title IX during Fall of 2022, and African American Heritage in the Ozarks in Spring 2023. In these two series, we will combine the history behind these important topics with words and memories from oral history conversations. Created in 2018, the Missouri Sports and Recreation Oral History Project documents the history of sports and recreation in the state, as well as notable competitive activities and events involving Missourians. While the project has surveyed athletes, coaches, administrators, and journalists across a cross-section of the sports landscape, the topic of Title IX emerged again and again in many conversations. For example, here's Jack Miles, former executive director of the Missouri State High School Activities Association, and one of the first individuals interviewed for the collection, discussing how the limited opportunities for his sister influenced his later actions regarding Title IX at the state level.
2: My sister was a heck of a basketball player too. When she graduated, she had no opportunities to play. And so mm-hmm. that kind of gave me some incentive later in life while at the high school association to really promote girls. And because I saw that she had the capability of playing beyond mm-hmm. the high school, but never had the
1: opportunity. But it was more than Jack Miles' words that resound within the collection. Soon enough, the women who populated sporting spaces as athletes, coaches, and administrators added their voices to the story of the long struggle before, during, and after Title IX. Former Athletic Director Sally Beard remembered the day some of her physical education students at Missouri Southern State University showed up at her office. So in
0: 1974, I was sitting at my desk and a group of young women walk in and say to me, we want to start a basketball team, will you help us? And I said, yes. And that answer, that simple, I think that's all I said. I, I have in my mind's eye, I, I see that image of those girls coming into my office and asking for my help, like it happened yesterday. Um. And my simple answer of I either said yes or I said sure, I think I probably said yes, w- changed the entire trajectory of my life. Uh and what I th- what I had in my mind's eye about where my career was going to go changed in an instant. I didn't figure that out for quite a little while, but uh it it changed
1: things enormously. Virginia and George Gum discussed their efforts to create athletic opportunities on the softball field for girls in Maryville, including their own daughter.
2: Our daughter was growing up, and she was real athletic, and she didn't, you know, they didn't have anything for her, so I said, well, we need to do something to help Maryville get started in girls' athletics. That's when we started the girls' softball program. And uh, Fortunately, I mean the business. We had great help. I mean, you know, we had good help. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so if we hadn't had the good help, we would have been tough to be able to do that. But fortunately, we were able to have the best that there were. We started out oh. with fourth and fifth graders. Yeah. Second year we went took the high school on, and the third year we had uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth, and seventh, seventh and eighth, eighth, and ninth. Right. Our seventh school. and eighth it was. And then we had a high school team. And then at that same time, we started a 13- to 15-year-old team, putting part of them together,
1: you know, to go to the
2: state tournament.
1: Sharing knowledge and memories and advice with the next generation. As Linda Dollar Rhonda Ridinger, Reba Sims, and Mary Hunter told,
3: you know, I always tried to at least bring some of those stories to light, um, and it bore the heck out of the kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, but if you had them in the van, you had a captive audience. Right? <laughs> now, they, now they've got <laughs> the They're in, in the <laughs> back seat doing that, <laughs> but you know, they got talk the about earphones. How <laughs> lucky you are yeah. that you have an opportunity to do this. You have your education paid for, and to be grateful for something like yeah. that. And I was, I was trying to plant a little seed about, and when you can, not next year, not in 10 years, but when you can, try to give some of that money back to the program so mm-hmm. it can keep going, you know, that type of thing. And of course, they are not they don't really hear you then.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But a, a lot of the kids come back, they're not kids anymore, but they come back and they, they tell each one of us, yeah, what it what yeah. it was like. I know. I Appreciate. It. And it's so great to see the people that you've had as yeah <laughs> athletes and that you've coached, and they come back and you see them. It's and what they've done and where they've gone. It's it's neat, right? It really is. And where they were, and now where they oh, are. Oh, <laughs> <well>, I know. <laughs> I knew her when, you know, but now and look she at
0: wouldn't her. listen to a thing
2: I said. <laughs> <laughs> And here she is up here, the the athletic director someplace.
1: And Marilyn Moore's memories of her hometown and the opportunities that didn't exist.
2: My hometown of Lebanon, Missouri, has 15,000 friendly folks. Uh, No recreational activities for girls back in my day, but boys had a little league baseball program, and we did go swimming at the pool often and to the movies for 10 cents admission. My brother had friends from school, he was four years younger, and they would come to our home because we had a huge cow pasture, and we used it for our neighborhood football games and baseball games. And we had a basketball goal at the garage and played until dark often. My brother was four years younger, and so me being the older one, uh, when we got these games going in the cow pasture, I was in charge. I could make up the rules, and not knowing a lot of the rules, but I made them up. And uh, I would often get uh, assigned myself to be quarterback for one of the teams, which I really enjoyed. Uh, one of the neighbors, as when they moved away, uh, their son played high school football, uh, high school uh, football in Kansas. And his mother wrote to my mother that uh, Ronnie came home last night from their game and he said, if Marilyn Moore would've been our quarterback, we would've won the game. (laughs) Uh, The little league was for boys only and my brother and I would ride our bikes about a mile to the ballpark. Uh, Bill was eight years old at the time, so I would have been about twelve. And for practice, we'd ride over there at the ballpark, and but I would have to just sit at the bleachers watching, dreaming of being able to play someday like that. Uh, <clears throat> finally, a lady in town started girls softball summer league, and we played a few other towns around. And it uh, was one of the fondest memories of growing up that I actually got to play.
1: In order to understand the stories and memories shared during the Title IX series, it is important to understand the history behind Title IX itself. While Title IX celebrates its 50th anniversary in 2022, the road to passage of this landmark legislation was fraught with challenges years in the making. The origins of Title IX lie in the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Originally intended to serve as a legacy of the recently assassinated President John F. Kennedy, and a capstone marker in the American Civil Rights Movement, the Civil Rights Act of 1965 outlawed discrimination on account of race, color, religion, sex, and national origin in public accommodations and employment opportunities. While seemingly offering widespread protections, the act did not initially extend to sex discrimination in educational facilities. Notably, there were efforts among the act's opponents to include an amendment known as Title VII, adding protections against discrimination based on sex to the original bill in the hopes that a broader piece of legislation would find too many objectors and meet a quick defeat. Instead, supporters rallied to the cause and pushed through key provisions of the bill, and President Lyndon Johnson signed the legislation into law in July 1964. Almost immediately, however, concerns were raised that sex discrimination protection in educational facilities was left out and the lack of full enforcement mechanisms needed to be rectified. This rallying cry served as the impetus of Title IX. Though Title IX has long been associated with athletics, its introduction was very much grounded in concerns over employment and educational opportunities. The legislation's earliest champions were Representative Edith Green of Oregon, Senator Birch Bai of Indiana, and Representative Patsy Mink of Hawaii, with the legislation later renamed the Patsy T. Mink Equal Opportunity in Education Act after her death in 2002. The first steps towards legislation emerged in the Senate in 1971 when Senator Birch Bayh offered an amendment to the Education Act, but it met with defeat. A year later, Bayh tried once more, and the bill received a boost from the similar trajectory of the Equal Rights Amendment, which also passed the Senate in 1972 after being approved out of the House of Representatives. As the ERA headed eventually a stalled ratification campaign through the states, Title IX entered the House of Representatives in spring 1972. There, it was championed by representatives Edith Green and Patsy Mink on its way to approval on June 23, 1972. Despite bipartisan support, Title IX's early years were marked by several issues. First, enforcement proved tricky as some educational institutions were slow to adopt change. Added to that, the notion that budgets would be divided up to fund expanded programs for women met with opposition on college campuses. In response to this opposition, Representative John Tower introduced an amendment in Congress to exempt revenue-producing sports from key elements of Title IX. The Tower Amendment was defeated, however, and Congress instead accepted Jacob Javits' amendment that revised spending per program based upon needs. By 1975, the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, known today simply as the Department of Education, issued guidelines for enforcement and regulations of Title IX. As the 1970s came to a close, though, the tug-of-war for control of Title IX compliance between athletes, administrators, conferences, and colleges continued and would continue well past the first decade of the law's existence. But that's a story for later in the series. Over the course of the series, we will look down only at the politics of play and the critical activism before, during, and after the passage of Title IX, but also at the long road leading up to the legislation, particularly what educational and athletic opportunities and limitations existed for women prior to that era. Finally, we will bring the subject of Title IX into the present and look at its legacy in modern America, a legacy that's so important for so many, as Barbara Coward shared in her oral history.
3: To be associated with a program and see it grow over 40 years and to see our women programs grow like they have and have had the success they've had over those four years has been, you know, extremely fulfilling for me. And uh, I hope that our women athletes don't take for granted, which I know they do. I did take for granted that it's always going to be this way because uh, uh, opportunities, unless you, t- you you know, take them seriously, sometimes can, you know, go away and uh, disappear So hopefully they understand that it's, is, you know, the opportunities were built on the backs of some very good people that had to go to fight for them. So uh, hopefully they understand that. I very much enjoy watching these young women athletes uh, go out and break the ceilings and do some outstanding things. Uh, I have doctors and lawyers out there that are former athletes that. I'm so very proud of teachers. They're so very proud of people that have gone into the coaching profession. Very proud of those, those young women and what they've become and the strong women that they've become. And I know a lot of it has to do with their participation in sports.
0: Thank you for listening to the R Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri.